This is a production of WEDU-PBS, Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota. Coming up next on WEDU, as the legislature wraps up the 2022 session, we'll look at what's been accomplished so far. The Conservative Political Action Committee holds its annual convention in Orlando, and the governor's message telling young people to remove their masks goes viral. All this and more right now on Florida This Week. Welcome back. This week, our panelists are Amy Hollyfield is the senior deputy editor for the Tampa Bay Times. Tremel Gomes is the host of the Rotunda podcast and president of Gomes Media Strategies. Steve Busquet is the editorial page editor for the South Florida Sun Sentinel. And Emily Mahoney is the political editor for the Tampa Bay Times. And it's so great to have you all here. Thank you for coming. The legislative session heads for its final day next Friday with limits on abortion, limits on classroom instruction, limits on local home rule, limits on solar energy, immigration, redistricting, and more changes to election laws all on the table. Some have dubbed this session the culture wars session because many of the laws making their way through are designed to appeal to the socially conservative Republican base. Issues such as the rising cost of housing and rent, the sharp rise in insurance prices, sea level rise, access to health care, and protecting Florida's endangered environment are not at the top of this year's agenda. Well, last week, let me make a correction. I mistakenly said the session was about to end this week. I misspoke. It's scheduled to end next Friday, March 11th. And uh, Amy, let's start with you. The abortion bill has passed 15 week limit on abortions and it's likely to be signed by the governor it will be signed by the governor (laughs) (laughs) so so how does that change things here in florida right now abortions are legal up until the 24th week yeah it'll be dramatic (laughs) Um, but it's totally expected this was a top priority it's it's obviously a big issue across the country you're seeing this happening um it's it's an there were a lot of tries to make this bill have some exceptions in it for rape and incest and those were set aside um, we've written some heartbreaking stories about people who've faced this issue not for you know for for health reasons of the of the child of the of the fetus and had to do an abortion after 15 weeks and what the options are there which aren't very good um, so it's 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 a big thing, but I expected nothing less from, from Florida and Republicans who've just been at the forefront of conservative ideas and topics, and this is certainly a top priority. And there was a suggestion that there be an exception for mental health or human trafficking, too. Did, did the legislature consider those? There hasn't been much conversation over any kind of yeah. exceptions. Okay, so no exceptions. So that's, uh, and, and we, we don't know what the U.S. Supreme Court is going to do. Yeah, that's still an open question. There's yeah. still the lawsuit out of Texas, um, and we'll have to see what happens with that. But this is, this is there's, I mean, we've seen it for years now, a, a, very, a very march toward, uh, toward Roe v. Wade and what that looks like across the country. Emily, another issue that's going through the legislature are limits on critical race theory mm-hmm. and its teaching in Florida. It's not being taught anywhere in Florida in K through 12, but they want to limit it anywhere. Anyway, um, but the, this this idea now that you'll be able to sue 
if you're a business and part of the training is involves something akin to CRT, or if you're a parent and your kids are taught something akin to CRT in schools. That's a new idea. Right. And um, at a conference that I listened to earlier this year by the Florida Chamber of Commerce, they noted that uh, lawsuits have become the enforcement mechanism of choice uh, when it comes to these kind of conservative culture issues that you're talking about. And I think that really hits the nail on the head that, that Republicans see lawsuits by parents, by employees, um, as a way to enforce these laws, um, but it's creating some strange bedfellows in the legislature. Republicans didn't like lawsuits. Right. Well, that's been a huge complaint uh, by the big business lobby for years that Florida was an overly litigious state, that we have too many lawsuits in Florida, and it's actually driving big business away from locating to the state. And uh, but with this year, you see, like you said, the the rise of lawsuits as an enforcement mechanism, and that makes the business lobby not so happy, which is unusual for a Republican-led uh, agenda, and it makes the trial lawyers happy, uh, which is also unusual, because they're usually kind of the foe of, of Republicans who say there are too many lawsuits. Also, the biggest financial donors usually to the Democratic Party here in Florida, mm-hmm. the trial lawyers. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tremel, uh, the uh, don't say gay bill or the parental rights bill, too, is it looks like it's, it does it look like it's on its way to passage? It looks like it's very much on its way to passage. But what we saw this week was a show of force and opposition from students from across the state. They came out in droves. Um, some were even at the Capitol uh, protesting. And and as lawmakers entered the chambers, they were standing there chanting and in opposition and saying, say gay. So there was a lot of um, unrest with students particularly who really came out this week and voiced their opposition to this bill. And Tramiel, a lot of those students there at the Capitol and around the state in places like Hillsborough County and Flagler County and Miami-Dade, big protests by high school students. You don't often see high school students protesting on an issue. Um, on occasion, things um, do pop up when they, like when we saw with the the, 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 the mass shooting at schools, students came in force here at the Capitol and they did, uh, their, their impact made change. It didn't go far enough, they would say. Um, and they tried it again this time. Um, in, and the massive organization that it took um, to organize this effort throughout the state, just seeing students in South Florida, Central Florida, here in Tallahassee, and all the way up to the Capitol um, protests. Um, it was something to see. Uh, Steve, I want to ask you about election law changes. What election law changes are in the works uh, as a result of the legislative session? Well, Rob, the most controversial and the most talked about change is this, this elections police force that Ron DeSantis wanted. Uh, sworn officers and FDLE agents uh, with free reign to look at and uh, look into election irregularities and to follow up tips to a statewide hotline. The League of Women Voters thinks this is potentially an open invitation to harass, intimidate voters, discourage them from voting, and so forth. There's also provisions in that bill that would um, uh, greatly increase the fines on third-party voter registration groups who have paperwork problems. Uh, and so they, the critics think it's a, it's a thinly disguised attempt to make it harder to register new voters at a time when Republicans have just overtaken Democrats narrowly in the total number of voters in the state. You know, Rob, the surprise would be if they passed an elections bill and it didn't end up in court. Uh, every elections change in the last seven or eight years has been 
in court and a federal judge right now is deciding the fate of the elections bill they passed last year. Steve, why would there be a, a move to hire these 50 or so staffers, the so-called elections police? Why would there be a move to do that, given that everybody, Republicans, Democrats, all the election supervisors said that last election was clean here in Florida? No complaints. It wasn't part of Donald Trump's effort to overturn the election. Why would we have something like that this year? Well, it's a good question, and, and here's my answer, uh, because first of all, the election supervisors didn't ask for this. Uh, it was represented this week in, the, in legislative testimony that Secretary of State Laurel Lee is a proponent of the elections police, but she better be. She works for Ron DeSantis. Um, this came about last fall because you had some hard right conservative supporters of Donald Trump who were calling for an audit of the election results in Florida even though Trump won Florida easily in 2020. The same sort of audit and shenanigans you saw, for example, in Arizona, some Republicans wanted to do here. Uh, to his credit, DeSantis pushed back on those requests, and there, ha there were no audits of the election results from 2020. But the compromise appears to be this, to appease some of the most conservative elements of the Republican Party, this sort of police force to look at election irregularities. Steve, I want to ask you another thing about elections, and that is that it looks like there was bipartisan agreement about new legislative districts, but there is a problem when it comes to arriving at the new congressional districts after the maps were redrawn. What's the problem? What's, what's the issue? The issue is that uh, Governor DeSantis has injected himself into the congressional redistricting uh, uh, efforts of the legislature in a way that uh, no previous governor did. He does have the right to veto a congressional redistricting plan, and he tweeted out today that he's going to do just that if the legislature doesn't uh, accept his changes. The issue concerns mainly a black majority congressional district along the northern tier of the state from Jacksonville to Tallahassee, which DeSantis thinks is uh, gerrymandered, but which the legislature drew uh, to comply with both fair districts and to maximize minority voting opportunities. Right now, Florida has four congressional districts that are drawn to maximize black voter participation. Under DeSantis's plan, that number would drop to two. And isn't it that against, I mean, theoretically, do the Democrats or the other side have, uh, have the ability to challenge that because it violates the state constitution? Yeah, um, uh, the House, however, the House has capitulated to DeSantis's demands and the House redistricting chairman, Tom Leake, is quoted as saying, the governor has the veto pen on the congressional districts. The governor cannot veto a legislative map, only the one for Congress. Um, DeSantis, uh, you know, is a conservative Republican with higher political aspirations. Um, you know, his motives are being questioned here as they should be. Um, th this map uh, has uh, was adopted uh, by the legislature. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the, you, you'd expect, as we've seen in past cycles, you'd expect the loudest objections to come from League of Women Voters, Democratic Party, others. In this case, they're coming from the sitting Republican governor. Let, let me go to uh, Amy and Trammell for this last question. The governor had a pretty big agenda at the start of this legislative session. How much of it did he get? 
How successful was the governor this year in getting what he wanted passed? Amy, let me start with you. He's getting a lot of it. <laughs> Not everything, um, but, but a lot. Um, it, I mean, it's an election year. <laughs> He's got a future. Everyone else has a future. They're going to ride his coattails, and it's, it's happening as expected. And Tramel, how would you say the governor did this year? He's getting a lot what he's wanted, just to what Amy um, um, just mentioned. And if he's not getting what he wants, he has the bully pulpit. He will be in front of the press conference, and whatever is not going his way, he will make it seem like it's going his way. That's what we've been seeing a lot from him um, throughout this cycle. Okay. Well, this year's Conservative Political Action Committee, CPAC, its convention was held in Orlando. The theme was Awake, Not Woke, and featured several prominent Florida politicians, including Governor DeSantis, both U.S. Senators Marco Rubio and Rick Scott, and North Florida Congressman Matt Gates, who's under investigation for possible sex trafficking of a minor. Gates questioned U.S. support for Ukraine. What about freedom here in this country? What about our leaders actually standing up for freedom and liberty in America? Why should Americans have to pay the cost of freedom elsewhere when our own leaders stand up for our freedom here? Emily, you covered CPAC this year. Uh, tell me, how common was it for speakers to complain about USAID to Ukraine or U.S. support for Ukraine? Yeah, that was interesting. That was definitely one of the, the kind of splits that we saw, and, and the Ukraine news was all sort of breaking as CPAC was happening. Uh, I would say it was about 50-50. Um, we heard people echoing what Matt Gates just said, uh, people saying, you know, there probably are Americans who can't even find Ukraine on a map, so why, why should we spend our resources addressing that when we have crises at home? And a lot of them talked about uh, immigration, like illegal immigration, as being uh, sort of a, an invasion here at home. Um, and I think that that comes from Donald Trump. I mean, he championed America first as being sort of his mantra for foreign policy and sort of this isolationism approach. And then we sort of had the, the more traditional conservatives um, also at CPAC saying, you know, communism anywhere is a threat and we need to address it. And if, if uh, we let Putin continue to do what he's doing in Ukraine, then it's, you know, it, it'll only spread and we'll continue to threaten United States interests. Uh, it's clear that Governor Ron DeSantis would like to be president, but in his way is the former president, Donald Trump. How, uh, I've talked to a few Republicans, not many, who say that Donald Trump's time has passed and they would like a new person to run for president in 2024. What was your sense at CPAC about uh, you know, whether or not there's Trump fatigue? Yeah, it's, it's a question that I think is sort of ongoing within in the Republican circles. But I would say that at least at CPAC, which is obviously a, a very active, um, sort of engaged uh, a group of people who attend that, so it's not necessarily representative. But when Trump spoke, it was standing room only. And it was not like that for any other speaker. Um, he had the headlining slot, and he won the straw poll far and away. I mean, DeSantis definitely had the second place slot. Um, but he had, I think, 20, 28 or 29 percent. Um, so not not remotely close. And I think that uh, perhaps in, in the strategist world and um, in sort of the political sphere, there's talk of, you know, it's DeSantis, Trump, but a little bit more clean cut, a like little less of a baggage than, than Trump has. But I think among the base, Trump is extremely popular. People are still wearing MAGA hats and... Um, 
there was no, no sign of Trump fatigue at CPAC. And if, if you were to pick a, a theme of the convention, we saw the awake not woke signs there, but if you were pick a, to pick a theme of the CPAC convention, what was it this year? There was a lot of talk about uh, parents and parental rights, um, which I think is sort of a, a summarization of parents rising up against mask mandates in schools, against the teaching of uh, what they're calling critical race theory in schools, against teaching LGBTQ themes in schools. Um, and that's all sort of packaged together into talking about parents' rights. And that was a major theme of the convention. A lot of speakers talked about parents um, going to the to the polls this November and having similar energy to the Tea Party. That was a, a common comparison that was made. A lot of the issues that came up uh, in the Florida legislature there at CPAC. Mm -hmm, definitely. Well, well, speaking of masks, while making an appearance at the University of South Florida this week in Tampa, Governor Ron DeSantis asked a group of Hillsborough County High School students standing behind him to remove their COVID-19 masks. You do not have to wear those masks. I mean, please take them off. <laughs> Honestly, it's not doing anything, and we got to stop with this COVID theater. So if you want to wear it, fine, but this is, a, this is ridiculous. In a video that was viewed millions of times, the governor appeared agitated and called mask-wearing COVID theater and ridiculous. Some of the students did remove their masks. Afterwards, some of the parents complained to WFLA-TV that the governor had bullied the children. It's just shocking that the governor told these kids, take off your mask. It, it, he pretty much said, take off your mask is stupid. And take off your mask, your parents don't matter. His mother tells him to wear the mask. I tell him it's his choice. So he made that choice and the governor has no right to tell no kid or no one who they can or can't wear a mask. So Steve, uh, to, to what extent uh, is wearing a mask COVID theater? Well, you look at the governor's behavior there at USF, and now you know why they call it a bully pulpit. <laughs> um, he, uh, he was very disrespectful to those kids. But, you know, he's been uh, consistently against masks. He doesn't think masks do any good. The Surgeon General, Joe Ladapo, came out this week and said that masks do not save lives. That's contrary to what we've been told by the CDC for the last two years. Um, it's, it's just, uh, he doesn't seem to have a real uh, sense of the awesome power of uh, words and actions when spoken by a governor. Uh, there is no one else in the state, we've talked about it on this program through the years, Rob, there's no one else uh, who's even close remotely to having the governor's ability to sort of, uh, you know, control the dialogue and, and command the respective people. And so he should have shown much more respect to those kids. And I, I got to say, we're not out of the woods yet. And we're going to put a map up. Uh, this shows the number of COVID cases where there are really uh, COVID case problems here in the state of Florida. Hillsborough County led the state in, per, in cases per 100,000 people last week. The counties there in the red are the cases where the outbreak is still pretty high. And Hillsborough County is being one of those. Tramel, I want to ask you about this bullying. I mean, what, what's, we, we, we in, in, in schools and pa as parents, we tell our kids not to bully. What's been Tallahassee's attitude toward bullying? Uh, and, and, and when the governor did that to the kids, he, he was kind of, he was sending a message that we as parents don't send to our kids. 
You're exactly right. And it was very hypocritical of the governor. And what we saw this week as this gained national um, um, uh, worldwide attention was like, you know, a, sort of like a bipartisan rebuke, um, uh, not as much from the Republican ends who are, are like, you know, more supportive. But it was seeing that this governor um, basically telling these kids in in a way that he was once advocating on the other end for he's saying like don't do this but he just went out there and and bullied these kids who are just trying to figure out the best way to survive and make it through um this pandemic and they're following rules and to see their confused faces wondering what to do whether to follow his orders or um follow what their parents are telling them to do which is exactly what the governor has been talking about giving parents um the power to um, be able to set their own rules for their families. That does seem to be a contradiction, Amy, that if you, if you want to give parents the choice, you can't, you can't take it away. It's you, a huge contradiction, yeah. especially because, I mean, that's been his talking point, right? Everyone should be able to make a decision for themselves. Here's the science, follow it as you want. And then here he is coming in and telling someone what to do, which is quite frankly what he has told everyone not to do. <laughs> Local government. I mean, he—that's—that's that's been the whole story of the pandemic. Is—is—is is, is let people decide for themselves. And this was a very clear example of of him making it, making it clear that what he wants is just people to do what he what he's asked for instead of deciding for themselves. So, Rob, I was going to say the governor's fundraising office, Steve, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with with his attacks on Dr. Fauci and, and all the other stuff and the beer koozies. The quick point I was going to make was, and my colleagues on the panel certainly know this well, uh, these events may look spontaneous. These events are very carefully stage managed ahead of time. Very little is left to chance. It's predetermined who's going to be standing where behind the governor, who gets to speak in what order, why some kids were picked to be on stage and others were not. Uh, making sure that the kids represent a cross-section, you know, demographically, racially, culturally, nothing wrong with that. But the point is, you know, DeSantis surely knew when he walked out on stage that there were going to be kids behind him wearing masks, which is why the real COVID theater here was uh, carried out not by the kids, but by the governor. All right. Well, before we go, what other news stories should we be paying attention to? And Amy, let's start with you. There's a report out this week about Piney Point, the fertilizer plant in Manatee County, where there was a leak in the reservoir and you know more than 200, 200 million gallons of polluted water went into Tampa Bay. They're shutting it down. They're going to clean it up. But we found out this week it's going to take until 2025 for that to happen, which means it's going to remain a risk uh, to our area for some time. Mm. And Amy, the other big story, too, at least in, in your world, is you're leaving the Tampa Bay Times and moving to Dallas to, to head up the newsroom there. I am. Yeah, it's been it's been wonderful being in Tampa Bay. And I'm just thankful to go to a state that has enough news and exciting politics as Florida does. We can't talk you out of it. Can we <laughs> say don't go? No chance. All right, Amy, we'll miss you. Thank you. And uh, Steve, your other big story. Yeah. Let's go back to elections very briefly, because this is bizarre and disturbing, and it's true. Um, Ron DeSantis does not like ballot drop boxes. Uh, the idea that voters can uh, avoid personal contact with people because of COVID concerns or whatever, they can go to a remote location, open a receptacle, and drop their sealed ballot uh, in a box. Drop boxes are not going away, but the legislature is going to strike the term drop box from the statutes. 
and election supervisors will not be allowed to promote or advertise them as drop boxes. They're being converted into, believe it or not, get ready for this, secure ballot intake stations <laughs> for the full elections. We will be the, we, the, we are the only state in the country that doesn't call them drop boxes. Calling George Orwell, right? Uh, so, and Tramiel, your other big story. Um, I would just ask people to focus on on race relations in this country and around the world. For those who often argue that it's a non-issue and why are you playing the race card, we wouldn't have bills like we're seeing in the Florida legislature dealing with critical race theory. Uh, we wouldn't see the issues with, with Africans and black individuals at the borders of Ukraine not being able to pass or have to justify other means to be able to pass. Race plays a big role in the fabric of this country and ignoring it, um, it lends us to be repeating the same things we've been seeing in history. And Emily, your other big story. Mine is also elections related. I wanted to highlight some really great reporting that happened recently by the Miami Herald, which uh, knocked on more, their reporters knocked on more than 300 doors down in South Florida to talk to clusters of voters where their uh, party registration had recently changed because they had noticed that there were trends in, uh, often in public housing buildings where people had uh, recently all changed their party registration recently. And they found more than 100 people who told them, mostly elderly Spanish-speaking folks, who told them that that uh, change had not happened with their permission. Um, almost all of them had changed from either Democrat or NPA to Republican, and almost all of the canvassers that were doing this work were working on behalf of the Republican Party of Florida. And so there's still a lot of questions about that. Uh, the Republican Party says that they follow all applicable laws, um, but I think that reporting just really deserves to be highlighted because as we're talking about election security, uh, this issue is actually uh, potentially an election security issue and it's it's sort of gone under the radar. Well, I wonder if the election police will investigate. Well, thank you all for a great panel. It's so wonderful to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Send us your comments at ftw at wedu.org. You can view this and past shows online at wedu.org or on the PBS app. And Florida This Week is now available as a podcast. You can find it on our website or wherever you download your podcast. And from all of us here at WEDU, have a great weekend. Florida This Week is a production of WEDU, who is solely responsible for its content.